0: Once a year, uh, our country honors those who uh, have served and sacrificed so much. In fact, over one million men and women have uh, died in service to uh, our country. And many, like us, we also want to honor those who are actively involved in military or veterans. And so if you are a veteran or uh, serving right now in any branch of the military, would you just stand so we can honor you right now? Please, just go ahead, stand up. Thank you, guys. Wow, thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. It's good to remember and to honor those who have uh, served through uh, so many sacrifices they've made. And it's good to have a national holiday. You know, it's not the National Barbecue Day. It really is Memorial Day, and so I would encourage you to thank vet, to thank someone, and to honor their memory. Most of us uh, have friends or family members that we have paid tribute to. And generally, often we do it with a memorial stone, a headstone of some sort uh, over their gravesite. Most of you, again, you know that my grandson, Phineas, passed away uh, back in March of 2008. He only lived for about an hour after he was born. And without a doubt, losing him is one of the hardest things I've ever experienced. I've talked about it, I've written about it, because hands down in all of my years, it is without doubt the hardest thing uh, I've ever been through and our family's ever been through. But that's not the end of the story. The other part of this that is so important for you to understand is that during that time, uh, I felt God's presence, his comfort, his arm around me uh, more than I ever have in my life. And I remember that as well. I remember my grandson, Phineas. He was an adorable little guy. And we planted a blue spruce in our backyard and put, uh, in fact, this uh, memorial stone. I got a picture of it. I just took it this last week. This, this memorial stone at the, the base of that tree says for Phineas. We will keep singing, and uh, I see that on a regular basis. And remember him, and it's good. It's good to remember. Um, besides the personal stones of remembrance that we set up at grave sites and other places of importance to us, there's national monuments. Uh, I got a picture of the Washington Monument. And it's just reopened recently. And my wife and I had the opportunity to go there, I guess five or six years ago, and it was incredible, quite moving. And that, if you don't know history, that actually is a monument that honors George Washington the first president of our country. And not too far from there is the Veterans Memorial, uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial. And I took this picture, and uh, I, I will never forget standing there uh, and watching the men and women, as I put their name, in fact, I get choked up thinking about it, um, finding the name of a friend or family member and laying hands on that wall and the tears there and the experience that most of us are familiar with a concept of memorial stones. And today, I want us to take a look at uh, this issue uh, from the Bible. Believe it or not, memorial stones started in the Word. In fact, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 28, is the very first memorial stone that's ever mentioned. And It's the story of a guy named Jacob and his experience uh, with God at Bethel. There's another one. The second includes Jacob again at a place called Mitzvah. But we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 today. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Joshua the fourth chapter. If you're new to the Word of God, uh, to the Bible, uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's actually, you, you'll find it right after the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book. It's kind of a big book, so go way back in the Old Testament, near the beginning, Deuteronomy, and then you'll find Joshua, and right after that's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So it's in between uh, Judges and Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, and then we'll get there in just a moment. What I want us to see today, and we'll be fairly brief, and we're going to finish with some more uh, Worship and communion today is the ultimate memorial is communion. So we're going to finish with that today as well. But what I want us to see in this story is a, an event that's not just significant for one family or for one man like it was for uh, Jacob in Genesis 28. But this is a significant experience for the nation of Israel. And in truth, it holds significance for us as well. i going to pick it up in Joshua chapter one, uh, chapter 4, excuse me, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each of the tribes, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Verse 4, So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. And each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. So these are not little pebbles. These are good-sized shoulders. I'm sure he picked some good-sized men. Take up a, shoulder, a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel. Twelve men, twelve stones. To serve, and here it is, verse 6, as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it, cro- uh, it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Verse 8, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. And they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, and they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones there that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Skip down to verse 14. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life as they stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Can command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the Jordan. Verse 17, so Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan, and the priest came up out of, out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran it at flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that that he'd taken from the Jordan. And here it is again. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants, when your kids and your grandkids and your kids' kids ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Why are they there? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he did, had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us as we crossed over. Verse 24, this is the most important verse in this passage. He did this, God did this, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Let me back up just a little bit, paint a picture of what's going on here. I want you to understand the context. In Joshua chapter 3, we see this miracle of the Jordan River stopping and and, uh, the Israelites crossing. But the Israelites for 40 years, for four decades, had been wandering in the wilderness. And if you're familiar with the story of the exodus... Uh, Even if you've seen, you know, the Ten Commandments uh, with Charlton Heston, you know it's fairly accurate in the events that took place. They had been slaves for for centuries in Egypt. Moses uh, and God and Aaron, you know, set them free. They were delivered from the nation of of Egypt and got part of the Red Sea, and and, uh, they ended up at the border of the promised land, probably a very similar spot to where they're at right now in Joshua 3 and 4. And yet they sent spies in. Spies came back, gave a a bad report, freaked everybody out. People said, no way, we can't do this. And God is an act of discipline. He said, okay, this generation that doesn't believe in me, they saw the Red Sea part. They saw God do miracle after miracle in Egypt with all the plagues, and yet they did not believe in the Lord. And God says, that generation, you're going to wander around for the next 40 years until you're all gone, and I'll take the next generation into the promised land. Moses led them during that 40 years. Now Moses is gone. His heir apparent, the guy who was his sidekick, his number two for those 40 years, was a guy named Joshua. So there's a new generation and a new leader. Joshua is the only one among them that was a part of what took place over those 40 years. And they are about to experience another incredible miracle as they enter this next phase of their journey. The Jordan River is... uh, where they're at. They're on the eastern border of this, and it's flood stage, um, which means that it probably was 90 to 100 feet wide, and at its deepest place probably 10 to 12 feet deep. Normally, the Jordan River was this gentle, flowing river, but now it's this raging beast flood flood stage. I was there over a year ago. I got a picture of the Jordan River Valley I want to show you. It's not a great picture, but you'll get an idea here that the valley runs from north to south, the Sea of Galilee is at the north, where, where Jesus spent a lot of his time, runs south all the way to the Dead Sea, which is, by the way, the lowest spot on earth. And this valley is about 75 miles long and about nine miles wide. And so, again, here's the picture. They're on the eastern border, border of uh, the Jordan River in a country that's now part of the world that's now called Jordan, and they're waiting, um, ready to enter to the Promised Land. And God tells Joshua to send the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and I'll explain that just a moment a little bit more, to carry that into the river. The Ark basically represented God's presence, His power, His his promise, and it represented God's person, that He was with them. And we're told that the the Ark contained um, a golden jar of manna, Aaron's rod, which budded another miracle, and the two tablets containing the Ten Commandments. And it was a holy, one of the most holiest objects in the nation. And Joshua says, "Priest, take that down. And it says, as soon as, in Joshua 3, as soon as the priests touched the, the, the river, the, the border of the river, it stopped flowing up north of them. In fact, it says in Joshua three seventeen, it says it twice in Joshua three seventeen that the Israelites crossed on dry ground. The Israelites at this time probably numbered somewhere between 2 and 3 million people. And the reason why I'm giving you this little history lesson is I want you to understand how incredible this is, what God's done. This isn't just a family or two. This isn't just a tribe of, you know, maybe 50 or 100 people or 1,000 people. They're, they measure somewhere in, in size between 2 and 3 million people. How do we know that? Well, in Numbers 26, we see that the, they counted the fighting men. There were 600,000 fighting men. You add spouses, kids, and you easily get to one and a half million, probably two, maybe even three million people. This is a huge, I mean, it's bigger than the entire population of the Spokane County on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. Now, what you need to understand as well is that God stopped the flow of this river, but he also did this other, I call it a miracle within the miracle. It says they, tro- they qua- crossed over on dry land. In fact, he mentions it twice. Ever, can you imagine taking, you know, two to three million people across a riverbed that's filled with mud, thousands of animals and kids and carts and all these things. But God dried it up and they crossed over on dry ground. Uh, my brother and I, years ago, my brother Craig used to raise horses and we used to ride quite a bit. Well, we rode in this place called Latuna Canyon. Yeah, it's a flood basin in Southern California. And uh, he had a couple of really great horses. One named Chester was a thoroughbred. Chester had been rejected by the race circuit because Chester hated mud. And believe me, I know this from first-hand experience because we'd be running these horses through this, uh, this canyon, canyon and if, if, if Chester even sensed that there was mud in his presence, he would put on all four and send me flying. More than once, I went flying over the top of Chester and I'd get up and smack him as hard as I could Yes, I did hit a horse. I don't know if that's horse abuse, but I, I let him know. Do not do that. And sure enough, you know, it, it would happen again because he hated mud. You would hate mud too, especially if you've got little kids and carts and all these things. But God this, this did this incredible miracle. Now, again, these people crossing, except for Joshua, had not seen the miracle of the Red Sea some argument about, it oh, there's the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, and maybe it wasn't that deep. Hey, all I know is it was deep enough to drown the, 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 the um, Egyptian army, and it was still a miracle. And so I don't care how deep or how wide, whatever you want to call it, the fact is God did a miracle then, and he did a miracle here now again. And it says in the beginning of chapter 4, which we read here, that the whole nation, after the whole nation had finished crossing, Joshua told the 12 men that they'd selected, to go take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan. Why? To create this memorial, this, this place of remembering what God had done for them. Building memorials actually fairly common in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but it's really common among humans. We've been doing it for I showed you a couple pictures of memorials that we build. We have memorials here in Spokane. They're all over the place. But in the Bible. When you see these memorials, these places of remembrance established, and often they are these stone altars, these places that were created, they are often, in fact, in the Bible, they're always a place where God encountered his people, where God did something miraculous, and it was a place to say, "Wow!" Well, when I see that next time, I'm going to remember what God did. In fact, throughout the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite books, but throughout the book of Joshua, you find that there are seven places where these stone altars are built. This altar of 12 stones here became this tangible memorial for the future generations, a tangible place for them to point at and say, this is where God showed up and did an amazing thing, a reminder of God's presence and his power. Maybe by now you're thinking, so what? Okay, glad right for the Israelites. That's awesome. Glad they built some, you know, stone altar and had a great time. What does that mean to me? Well, I'm really glad you asked. LET ME READ AGAIN. VERSE 24. THIS IS WHY I SAID IT'S THE MOST IMPORTANT PART OF THIS PASSAGE. JOSHUA 4, 24. GOD DID THIS SO THAT ALL THE PEOPLES OF THE EARTH. HOW MANY OF YOU ARE PEOPLES OF THE EARTH? YEAH. HOPEFULLY YOU'RE RAISING YOUR HAND NOW. WE ALL ARE. GOD DID THIS SO THAT ALL THE PEOPLES, ALL THE NATIONS OF THE EARTH MIGHT KNOW THAT THE HAND OF THE LORD IS POWERFUL. AND SO THAT YOU MIGHT ALWAYS FEAR, REVERE, HONOR, FEAR THE LORD YOUR GOD. YOU SEE, THIS WASN'T JUST DONE FOR THE ISRAELITES. It wasn't just done for Joshua. It wasn't just done for these people back, you know, thousands of years ago. Guys, this was done for you and me so that all the peoples of the earth might know. God parted the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan. And he did it so that we would remember how powerful he is. And this story is recorded in the Bible forever so that we would know God can do anything. Nothing's bigger than him. These stones were a symbolic marker of an encounter with an amazing God where people face something way bigger than them, but not bigger than their God. So let's get personal. Where are you facing in your life right now? A raging river. Something insurmountable. Something that seems like, wow, there's no way I'm getting from here to here. It's huge, it seems impossible. Where are you facing something that you need God's miraculous intervention in your life? A relational issue, and you just have no idea how you're going to get through this. A financial issue. I mean, I talk to people all the time, and they're on the brink of disaster, and they they don't know, and they, they struggle, they worry. A health issue, something going on in your body. You know, every week we get those prayer requests from you, and thank you for letting us encourage you and support you in prayer. Well, we get those in in that communication card, and it comes to me every week. Almost every week I read those, and I get choked up reading about some of the struggles that some of you or your family members are facing. Life-threatening things, relationally threatening things, financially, you know, threatening issues in your life. Where are you right now facing a Jordan River, something that just seems so big that you have no idea how you're going to get through this, and you need a miraculous intervention from God. Guys, this story is here to remind you that no matter what we face, God is bigger. No matter what you're facing right now, he's bigger. Now, God does not want us to live in the past. I don't think that's healthy. But he does want us to remember those moments in our past where he met us and he revealed his power and his greatness and his grace to us. You know, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, You've had at least one of those. why? I don't know if I've ever had any miraculous moments. Hello. How about the moment you said yes to him and you became like that a new person because of his grace and his mercy in your life? But how many of you have had those encounters ex- where all of a sudden you, you realize, wow, I mean, one split second longer and I would have been killed by that back truck who weaved into my lane or on your motorcycle. I would have been dead by that lady who pulled out in front of me. I had that experience about a month ago. I mean, how many times a we, we think, thank my lucky stars. Stop thanking your lucky stars. Thank God. And you you need to remember, I want to just challenge you a little bit today. You're thinking, I haven't really had those moments. Yes, you have. If you're a Christ follower, yes, you have. Those moments where you were on the brink of financial disaster, and you know what? You're still eating. You, you, you've got a roof over your head. You're, you might be dirt dog poor. You might be struggling right now in some areas, but God has met you. He has provided. He has been there. There's a place for us, and I'm suggesting this morning, on this Memorial Day weekend, it's a good place for us to remember where God met us, that first moment we gave our life to him, that that last moment where he saved our bacon. You see, and this is the key thing I want you to walk away with today. Remembering God's faithfulness in your past gives you hope for your future. In fact, if you're taking notes, write that down. If you've got your Bible open, write that right on the bottom of the margin of that passage because this is the point of this whole story. Remembering God's faithfulness in your past will give you hope for your present and your future. Have you ever felt, and this is a rhetorical question, so overwhelmed that you just, you don't know if you can take another thing, you know, if you don't know what's going to happen and you're overwhelmed by your present, overwhelmed by the the future that looks Gloomy and dark and horrible and ugly, and you're afraid, guys. It's in those moments what sustains us is we take a, a pause and we remember. We remember how God has come through for us time and time again. Remembering God's faithfulness in your past will renew your hope. Remembering Him. See, the problem is when we get in those situations, we just get slammed and we lose sight of God. We lose our f- our focus on Him. And we stop fixing our eyes on him, we start fixing our eyes on the problem, what we need to do is turn mentally and emotionally, turn our perspective again to the Lord and say, Lord, you've been with me so many times. You have bailed me out so many times. God, I have never earned one good thing from you in my life, but over and over and over and over and over and over again, you have met me and I remember. And remembering God's faithfulness in your past will give you hope. In the Bible hopes to find as confident expectation. It's not, well, I hope so. You know, get if lucky stars line up. No, it is confident expectation in God. When I remember God's help and presence during that very dark season, the valley of the shadow of death when we went through Finn's passing, it gives me strength. It gave me strength in the next few years after that where I lost my stepdad who I loved dearly was a father to me for 28 years. Lost my uncle, my Uncle Don, who was a mentor in my life and and one of the heroes, and I just, what a a man of God. Remembering God's help and strength during that time with Finn gave me hope and help to struggle through and to to press on through the times where I lost others that were precious to me. Remember how God has miraculously provided for me financially financially personally time and time again gives me hope for, that God's going to continue to care for me and for us as a church for our future I remember God I know man you did this for me and I know that you will do it again remembering God's help and grace when I faced cancer in my body almost three years ago this June has given me confidence to face whatever health issues you know we're all going to die at something you figure figured that out yet You know, sooner or later, something else is going to happen, and, you know, that's just the reality. So the issue is when that happens, what do I do? Well, I want to know, hey, God has been with me, and he's going to stand with me and continue to be with me. Will things always be easy? Yes or no? No. Oh, you guys are smart. (laughs) Will things always go the way you want them to go? (laughs) Nope. And if you're investigating Christianity today, let me tell you what faith in Christ is not. Faith in Jesus is not this magic pill that will fix all of your problems forever, at least the problems on planet Earth. It's not. People say, Well, I I began with Christ's father, I gave my life to Jesus, and things got worse. Well, because then you entered into this battle now with between light and dark, and you're on the front line, and, and now you belong to Him. But here's what I can promise you: you'll never be alone. You will never have to face any hardship, any struggle again all by yourself. All the resources of God, all the resources of the kingdom of God are yours. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 15, that comfort, that hope that comes, it's, that, that goes beyond anything that you could ever experience on your own comes from our relationship with the Father. Trust me, I have experienced plenty of hardship and heartache in my life. Oh, plenty. But God has always been with me And I know that He'll always be with me because He's always been with me. Remembering God's faithfulness in my past gives me hope, and that's what it can do for you. When I look back, I can see these memorial stones in my life. I can, you know, mix my metaphors. These markers, you know, these mile markers along the way. When I look back, I I can see these things. It dawned on me last night when I was down here praying for you guys and praying for this morning that one of the great memorial stones in my life personally is the book called Epic Grace that I wrote. And it's, it's, it is a memorial. Of, you know, it's going to survive. Hopefully it will be around long after I'm gone. But it is. It is a testimony that moments, these experiences, time after time after time, where God met me and I experienced this epic grace in my life. I remember these memorial stones, these moments in my past, and when I remember, it's enough. It gives me what I need to take the next step in the journey. David wrote in Psalm 143, verse 5, it says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on your works and consider what your hands have done. Love that passage. David says, I remember. I don't know if you're familiar with David's story, but let me just tell you a few things David probably remembered. He remembered how God showed up when he was a teenager and had to face Goliath and he killed him. (laughs) He remembered God showing up when he'd been anointed as king, and now he's running for his life from King Saul. He remembered how God protected him and spared him when his own son turned against him and tried to take over the kingdom. He remembered the grace of God in his life when he failed miserably with Bathsheba, and yet God forgave him. He remembered those things, and remembering God's presence in his past gave him hope for his present and his future. If you continue to read the book of Joshua, and you might want to do so this week, it's a great story. I love the story. But you'll see that the Israelites faced massive challenges. This whole thing about Christianity making your life easier, anybody who tells you that, they're lying. It makes it better. And you've got the answer, but it doesn't make it easier. And here they are, entering now. This God just miraculously brought them into the promised land. And guess what they had to do next? Go to war. And the very first city they had to go against was Jericho. These walls that were considered impenetrable, and and they couldn't get through them. And and there's no way. And yet, again, God met them. And I, I am sure Josh was thinking, I know God showed up. He showed up here. He'll show up here. He showed up there. He'll show up here. I know he will. Remembering God's faithfulness in their past gave them hope for their future as they faced one enemy after another. Perhaps you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're struggling to trust God. You're wrestling through whatever it is that's in your way, your own Jordan River right now. I want to encourage you. I want to ask you. To reflect back on a moment or moments where God met you, where God revealed himself to you. And let that renew your hope. Let it renew your trust. Let it renew your confidence in him. My grandmother Cole, one last story, and then we're going to get ready to have communion together. My grandma Cole was an amazing woman, stood about four foot nothing, Um, loved God. She was actually an author herself, Um, raised nine children. And when she was pregnant with the ninth, who happened to be my mama, my uh, grandfather, Grandpa Warren, was killed in a hunting accident. They were farmers in western Montana and uh, poor, struggling farmers. Eight kids and a ninth one in, in the oven. And my grandfather literally went out to hunt to put food on the table for his family and some greenhorn shot him, and he was killed accidentally in a hunting accident. At the time, and I've heard the story so many times, they literally, they had $10 to their name. Okay, so imagine, you are a a family in western Montana, farming family, you you got nothing, no money, literally, you know, not sure where your next meal's gonna come from, you're pregnant, and your husband is killed, and you've got eight other kids at home. And I remember hearing the stories, and my grandmother, you know, she took care of me when I was little, and my mom worked full-time. I mean, she just, I love her. I, and she passed away uh, when I was in high school, but I love her dearly. But I remember asking my grandma once, I said, Grandma, I don't know how you did How did you face all these struggles? And she'd tell me stories. How did you do all of this? And how did you, how, how are you worried about what's going to come? Are you worried about the future? And I remember my grandmother Cole saying to me, Grandson, God has always been with me in in my past, and so I know he will always be with me in my future. That's stuck. That's stuck, and it's been decades since she passed, and she's been with the Lord, but that truth has stuck with me. God has always been with me in my past. I know he'll always be with me in my future. Will you remember today? I'm going to ask you to remember. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I look around this room and I, um, I know a lot of the stories. Parents struggling with kids, kids struggling with parents, people facing health issues, people without work, people, Lord, who just recently um, had their heart broken. And it's so hard, Jesus, I know, because I've been there. It's so hard to keep our eyes fixed on you. It's so hard to step into our future with hope unless we remember. And so, Lord, somehow today on this memorial weekend, I pray that you turn our hearts to remember your faithfulness, your goodness to us, your presence in our life, your power in our life, your comfort in our life, God, and that that would give us what we need to take the next step. And then tomorrow, take the next step again. And the day after that, to take the next step. And to keep going because we know that we are not alone. Because we know that you have been with us and you will be with us. Remind us, Lord. And let that remembering renew our hope in you. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your walk as a Christ follower. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion. And it's just a couple, of, you know, grape juice and a cracker. It's that's, that may be all it seems to you. But it, for us, it is remembering what Jesus did on the cross where he sacrificed his all for us. And today, maybe you're here and you know it's time to say yes to God, to surrender your life to him. He gave up his all for you, and you know, okay, it's time for me to give up my all for him. And today, taking communion for you could be this very first act as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And if that's your heart, that's your desire, then I'm going to ask you, just make this simple prayer that I'm going to pray right now, your prayer. Own these words, Father, forgive me. I come to you asking you to forgive me for my past. I ask you to now take my life. I surrender it to you. And today, right here, this Memorial Weekend of 2014, I am choosing to follow you, to give my life to you because you gave your life for me. Thank you. Thank you for the grace I could never earn, for the forgiveness and love I could never earn. But I get it today. I get it. It's mine because of you. And if that's your heart, again, just say, yes, God, that's me. Today I surrender my life to you. Lord, seal in their hearts that this beginning for them is just that, the beginning of a journey that will take them into eternity as they walk with you. But for all of us, help us to walk in the remembering that renews. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to remain seated. Wow, okay, that was quick. I need my Bible. <laughs> Sorry. I wanna to read to you guys a passage. And uh, here's what we're gonna do. The ushers, in fact, you guys can go ahead right now. They're gonna hand out the elements. Take one and hold it. Don't, don't uh, take the uh, juice yet. Just take it. They're double cupped, on the bottom is a uh, cracker. And it's grape juice and cracker. Just take that and hold it, and we'll take it all together in just a moment. This is the ultimate memorial stone, the ultimate memorial that we can celebrate as a church. And where do I get that from? Well, Jesus said this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. This is Paul speaking. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, with his disciples in that night, established a memorial that he expected the church to participate in until he came back for us, until we're all together in heaven, to do this as an act of remembering the greatest sacrifice made out of the greatest love for you and me. I'm going to ask you to remain seated as we sing. I know normally we stand. Remain seated. Let's worship, and then I'll come back, and we'll take the elements together. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Would you just uh, kneel? If you're physically able to do so, and don't feel bad if you can't, but would you just kneel right where you're at right now? Father, we come uh, again honoring you for the great sacrifice you made in sending your one and only Son because of love. And we take this position uh, kneeling before you in humility and in a surrender and in gratitude. We remember you, Jesus. We remember your body, which is broken for us. Take the bread now, which represents his body broken for you. remember jesus your blood that was shed on that cross you surrendered willingly for us you sacrificed everything for us and so we remember and we remember that we because of that blood kneel now and we'll walk out of here now forgiven because of you take the cup which represents his blood shed for the remission of your sins We love you, Lord. Burn in our hearts a memory of you that changes us now and changes us tomorrow and for the rest of our life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me stand together. Help somebody up. (laughs) We have finished one last song of celebration. The Usher is going to take our offering now. If you're a guest, don't feel obligated to give. But if this is your church, let's give to celebrate what God's doing. And let's, let's celebrate one last song of memory for, for his sake today. Let's worship him. Hey, thank you so much for being here this Memorial Day weekend. It means a lot to us, and I hope you got blessed. So I'm going to ask you, if you need prayer, a prayer team would be down front. If today you begin your life as a Christ follower, put that stake in the ground, build a memorial around this, and remember this day. Tell somebody. And then on the tables, by the doors, there's a packet for new believers. It's got a Bible, some matriculars started you'll walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. Next Sunday, starting a new series called The Cure for the Common Life. Excited about it. And uh, I'm going to be back in the saddle preaching a fun series. So hope you'll come back next week. Go remember this week his goodness. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.